Hey, everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I am Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Laffin, and Thomas Anderson. How's everyone doing this week? Pretty good. All right. Baseball is back in some form. Yeah, I forgot how boring spring training was. <laughs> you're telling me you're not excited for insert bad minor league signing that will somehow make the major league bench playing in spring training? <laughs> like halfway through the first game, I was like, oh, that's why I'm like, whatever, Brett. Mm-hmm. It was exciting at first. It's just nice to see familiar faces. Oh, exactly. That's the best part. All right, so for promote, extend, trade this week. Um, in 1942, the Battle of Los Angeles took place. Um, in the middle of the night, the defense force in Los Angeles started shooting 50 caliber machine guns and anti-aircraft shells into the air and all that craziness until the all-clear sign was given the next morning. And there was no actual threat to Los Angeles. Um, the Navy officially blamed it on war nerves. Um, a lot of people say it was a cover up and that there was a threat and that the Japanese were approaching or that it was UFOs or whatever the case. But the Battle of Los Angeles as a term has been used for a bunch of different things. So what are we going to promote, extend or trade here? First, we have Rage Against the Machines album, Battle of Los Angeles. Next, we have the annual wrestling competition from Pro Wrestling Guerrilla. The Battle of Los Angeles. And then we have another name for the freeway series between the Angels and the Dodgers, which doesn't have the same ring as a subway series, but Battle of Los Angeles. Uh, any game with Mike Trout gets an extend from me. Yeah, there's a lot of, <coughs> there's a lot of like star, star power between those two teams, so. And I don't watch wrestling, so I'm trading that one, which I guess leaves me promoting an album I have no strong feelings about. No I, strong I, feelings. I belong on Instagram. I'm promoting albums. Hooray. <laughs> I think I'm trading that rivalry just because it's like a fake rivalry. Like, I don't think they actually, like, care about each other all too much. Maybe the Angels do, but I don't think they care about the Angels. See, I mean, even if it's not a real rivalry, whatever that means, that the both those teams just have so much, so many fun players. Oh, sure, that's fair. The games will be fun, no matter what. How many top five players in baseball would be playing in that game? Well, two for sure, and then you're debating whether Bellinger is top five or not. Yeah, Bellinger's top ten for sure. And that doesn't even count Otani, because I'm assuming you're talking about... Or Rendon. Yeah, it's one of Rendon or... Yeah, I don't, I don't think Rendon's top five. Yeah. I think there might be an argument for Bellinger, but I don't think so either. Who are the top five players in baseball? Trout, Betts, Lindor, and... We're talking just position players? I was going to ask, is DeGrom Scherzer... Are they both in the top five? I think DeGrom might be. Hell, maybe it is Bellinger. Yelich. Yelich. Probably for Bellinger. Yelich. Yep, yep, yep. 
Well, how many top ten players in baseball? <laughs> well, four. I don't think Kershaw is top ten anymore. Uh, no, he's probably top twenty, which begs the question: How many top twenty players are? Well, there? now we're gonna have to argue about Max Muncie because I firmly believe Muncie is like a top fifteen player in baseball, and just no one notices. Muncie is yeah. a goddamn monster. He's very good. One of my friends was like. What, like, who doesn't, he kinda knows baseball, but like, isn't super into it, was like, why did they extend Muncie? And I'm like, oh, he's so good, that's why they extend Because he's a little <laughs> god. The dude just rakes. Pony's really good teams. And then yeah, Trout will always end up playing Trout. We also haven't mentioned Simmons. I just realized. Yeah. Belongs somewhere in that top Eh, maybe not top 20, but, like, at least adjacent to the conversation. Well, that has kind of changed my mind, I guess. Yeah. I mean, not really. I'm still trading it, but it's actually not a boring... It's not as boring as it seems at first glance, definitely. I think it's just because it's not, like, billed that way. Like... We're not going to get the Sunday night baseball of it. Well, because they're both on the West Coast. But like, we're no, not... we're just going to watch Red Sox Yankees for the exactly three millionth time when the Red Sox are going to like suck this year, and the Yankees are going to be one of the best teams in baseball. Not if all their pitchers get keep getting injured. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. They're really good. They'll be regular season really good at least. They'll hit. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, well, before we start things off this week, um, I just want to revisit one of the topics that we talked about last week, the MLB uh, 20 rosters. Actually, the day after our show, uh, J.J. Cooper from Baseball America, he did some digging, and they released an article, and apparently when minor league players sign the player's uniform contract, they forfeit their rights to be compensated for their likenesses being used. Yeah. <laughs> so specifically it says, quote, the player's name, voice, signature, biographical information, and likeness shall belong to the club, and they may be used, reproduced, sold, licensed, or otherwise disseminated or published by the club or its licensees, assignees, and or other designees, directly or indirectly in any medium whatsoever, for any purpose, including, but not limited to, broadcast, in print, on trading cards, posters, and other merchandise of any kind in electronics, audio, in video, or in connection with any media, in any manner, and at any time. If you check the, the like, tiny text there, it says, or Eldritch Rituals, you know? It's just <laughs> really covering every basis possible here. Yeah, Wait, really. In any medium? In any medium. At any time? At any time. Okay, in any manner. Crazy. So, this isn't a new provision, right? No, no. It's just like getting brought up because of their likenesses being in the show. Yeah. So. Right. Well, it's de- they definitely this definitely got thrown in at a time when it didn't matter, and MLB's like, oh yeah, we have these now. Hmm. Very interesting. And you know, Sony did their research and was like, oh, we don't have to pay them, so we definitely can. 
So once again, minor league is getting screwed. What's new? Sky is still blue. Mm-hmm. But I guess that brings us to this week's topic, which is the first annual way too early draft preview. Right. Uh, yep. Um, hopefully this podcast goes on for years and years so we can have more than one annual way too early draft preview. But I actually thought this was the second, um, and that the first one was on a segment from the old Amazing Avenue audio. But I went back into the archives and I checked all the way to like 2017 and I couldn't find anything, mm. which is weird because I randomly remember talking about Seth Beer, um, who was in no way, shape or form ever tied to the Mets. But whatever. Um, so I mean, without... who wasn't talking about a guy named Seth Beer? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that kind of surprising that he wasn't tied to the Mets in retrospect? That feels like a very Mets pick. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, on athletic, one-dimensional. Yeah, I still might. Th- I still kind of think he's good. <laughs> he, he might be. He has. He might just be an absurdly good hitter. Yeah, like he, just, he might just hit his way through to majors. But we'll see. Only time will tell. I I feel like well, he's definitely going to make the majors. Yes. Yeah, well, he does. You know, who, be... Who's starting for the Diamondbacks at first base? Christian Walker. Yes, I think nailed it. Uh, yeah, I Christian only remember that because of fantasy last year. Yep, he was like a big name for a bit. Yep, yeah, because he came up and hit for a month, and then was like, "Oh wait, you're not actually good." Yeah, I, I, I think Beer gets some at bats this season. Uh, well, uh, the college season just started. High school baseball is going to start in a little bit, so technically, draft season has started, I guess. But you know, still months away. There's going to be a huge amount of variance and. All those lists at MLB.com, Baseball America, you know, the, the two powerhouses there that they put out. And then the kind of secondary college websites and high school websites and all that kind of stuff. Guys are going to drop in rankings. Guys are going to shoot up. You know, nothing is really static except for the first couple of picks, like maybe one through four or so. And then you kind of have a vague consensus about big chunks of guys, you know, grouping them into tiers. So-and-so is like a back-end of the first-round guy. So-and-so is kind of really talented, but he's a long shot to actually sign, so he's going to drop and things like that. So with the Mets, with the Mets pick this year, 19, it's kind of a weird place to be in. And I think we say that every single year. (laughs) That's because they somehow always manage to be just bad enough to be like, the the very end of a tier uh, in the draft. Yeah. Yep. All the top tier guys are going to be gone. Way. Yeah. All the top tier guys are going to be gone. Every so often, there's some extenuating circumstances where those top tier guys kind of do drop, but who knows? So all of the guys that are going to be available are probably going to be guys with like flaws. Um, the Mets picked. At 19 a few years ago in 2016, and they picked Justin Dunn. And obviously every draft class is different, but he's a pretty good example of what I mean when I say a guy is flawed. Obviously he made his MLB draft, uh, excuse me, his MLB debut already, so that's good. You know, obviously there was plenty of talent in him, um, but there were concerns, mainly being his, um, 
his workload, which was very limited, given the fact that he was a reliever for most of his college career. And then the fact that his mechanics are pretty high effort, which caused kind of shaky command. And he was really just a a two-pitch fastball slider guy. So there was stuff to like, but there were blemishes. And obviously, if, if that wasn't the case, he would have been picked higher than 19. So the guys that the, that will be available when the Mets pick, there's going to be blemishes. Um, but you know, that is, that is kind of the case with every player. Um, the goal of, of, uh, amateur scouting department is to identify the guys with the talent and then the guys with uh, the talent, you know, they go into the system and the system takes the guy and maximizes his talents and minimizes his flaws. So the Mets have a so-so record <laughs> in that regard. So let's cross our fingers. So-so is generous. Yeah. Um. So who would like to talk about that guy first? The they're Mets' first round uh, pick. Anyone want to volunteer or should I just go? Lead on, fearless leader. All right. All righty. <clears throat> So with the first pick, I would like to see the Mets go after a guy named C.J. Van Eyck. And if the name rings a bell for anybody, it is because the Mets drafted him in the 19th round in the 2017 draft. Uh, he's one of those long shot picks, you know, that, that teams make. He had a commitment to FSU, Florida State, which is a really big baseball school. And he also had some medical problems that, that spring. There was some arm soreness. So... It was pretty much a guarantee that he wasn't going to sign, but, you know, you, you always go for those long shots because you never know. Obviously, he went to college, and in his freshman year, he pitched mainly out of the bullpen, got a couple of starts, but pretty good line all in all. Uh, 286 ERA in 56 and two-thirds of an inning, uh, allowed 42 hits, walked 30, struck out 71. And then last season, he was moved into the weekend rotation, and he was a pretty big reason why the Seminoles went deep into the College World Series. He had a 3.80 ERA in 94 and two-thirds total innings, which is, you know, okay. Not not phenomenal, but it's pretty good. He allowed 82 hits, he walked 39, and he struck out 120. So that's a good number there. Um Van Eyck, like I said earlier, you know, he's, he's a guy that's going to have some flaws. Um, number one, he's not the biggest guy. He's six foot one, 200 pounds. It's not bad, but, you know, a, a couple of in, more inches would be nice. You want your starting pitchers to be real big, uh, athletic hulking guys. Number two, uh, he hasn't been particularly efficient uh he he's averaged about five innings of work and 95 pitches per outing part of that's on him because the control isn't exactly pinpoint but part of that is also because his pitches have a lot of movement so his fastball it sits in the low mid 90s tops out about 96 and there's a lot of arm side life late so really good that's a lot of where a lot of those strikeouts come from it's above average velocity, above average movement, definitely an above average pitch. And then he complements that with a really, really good curveball and then an okay changeup. Maybe, maybe a little bit more than just okay. 
Um, the curveball's a, a big 12-6 breaker, sits in the high 70s, has really sharp late break. And then the changeup, it sits in the high 70s, and it doesn't have too much fade, but he does throw with the same arm speed as his fastball, so he, he gets deception in that regard. And it's a pitch that, you know, it's not terrible. It's it's definitely workable right now, and hopefully it never takes any steps back, and he can just keep improving on it. And basically, I'm interested in him because I think that the team is lacking... <laughs> it's it's lacking a lot of things, obviously, but one of them, I think, is high-end pitching. Um, in the top 25, you really don't have that much high-end pitching. The most notable guys, I guess, are Matthew Allen, Joshua Wolf, and Junior Santos, and those guys are still, you know, teenagers. Um, you know, in the upper minors, there's Thomas Zipucky, uh, who really knows what's going to go on there. Uh, David Peterson, Tony Debrell, Harrell, you know, they don't really kind of have front of the rotation upside, whereas Van Eyck does. So I think also the Mets have been very successful at developing pitchers of his kind of mold. So I think that he could probably get the most out of his stuff in the Mets' system than elsewhere. That's fair. Yeah. It's good. Um, we're looking at the spread on him from different sources. Like MLB has him going twentieth, and Fangrass has him fifth. It's kind of yeah. A lot I think is dependent on well, obviously <laughs> how he does this year. But mm-hmm. I mean, his first year was kind of a wash. He was in the rota- it was in the bullpen for most of it, and he kind of was you know like I said, pretty pretty good, but not great last season. So depending, you know, the stuff is there. He could be great. So if it, you know, all shows up, then he'll probably be out of the Mets' range. <clears throat> but if, you know, he's just okay again, then he could definitely be in their target area there. I think uh, we're doing this very early. I feel like so. For, if we're going to close every one of these segments with depending on how things go this year. Of course. These guys are going to be swinging all over the place. That's the big asterisk on the whole thing. Yeah. That should be the episode title. Big asterisk? (laughs) The big asterisk. I think that could cover the... I think that's a good description for all of minor league baseball. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, if no one minds, I'll hop in here with my guy then, because I think it segues nicely on that note of college pitchers being somewhat fungible right now. Unless, yeah, so so my uh my guy, similar to you, Steve, I had the same thought where the system doesn't have a lot of pitching, uh and definitely doesn't have a lot of pitching in the high minors. Um and while the major league team definitely is in a mode where it needs reinforcement sooner rather than later, um like as long as you're, I feel like they're at a point towards the tail end of a contention cycle where, as long as you're not totally blowing up the roster and resetting, you should be trying to get talent that comes up pretty quickly. Um, so to that end, I went with a pick that's probably going to be pretty ironic given how much I rail against Peterson and Anthony Kay. Uh, but left-hand pitcher Reed Detmers, he's from Louisville, the junior. Um, so probably like the tier behind Van Eyck 
uh, uh, depending on how things work out this year. But uh, a lot of the same things could be said. Really good high school numbers, bad freshman year, breakout sophomore year. Um, he was the ace of Louisville staff as a sophomore, 18 starts, 113 innings, 167 strikeouts, which is obviously great, though you're reading into college stats at that point. ACC pitcher of the year. Um, now, the knock on him as a high schooler was that his fastball wasn't super great, his stuff wasn't super great, and that's still definitely true. Uh, fastball is in the low 90s with some arm side run, but it's not nothing super special. He throws a nice curve that has high spin rate, which is interesting, and he seems to have a real feel for it, but uh, um, not not the kind of stuff that fits the top of the rotation archetype. Um, and he's physically maxed at 6-2-2-10. But a uh, guy who should move pretty fast, uh, a guy who, unlike Anthony Kay, hasn't been ridden into the ground in college, uh, and I don't think Louisville is typically a program that does that, unlike UConn, so that makes me less hesitant to drop this kind of pitcher and hope it, they move, or uh, to draft this kind of pitcher and hope they move fast. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he can continue his gains from sophomore his sophomore year and uh, then depending on how well that goes, if he's even on the board still when the Mets get a chance. Yeah, a uh, thing to note, obviously, is that you never want to draft based on, you know, team need. That of kind course. of stuff is short-sighted. But, like, a guy like Van Eyck or a guy like Detmers, these are guys that are generally considered to be in, like, that second half, second tier of the first round, whatever you want to call it. So they fill there's a need, a, and they're, like, the best guys, you know, available at the same time. There's a very good chance that either one of them would be the, the best player available. When the Mets pick. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. To be clear, you should always go best player available with baseball drafts. But I do think there's like as a as a kind of when you're working on the fight factor, you can start thinking about need, at least on the pitching side, I think. If you draft for need on the hitting side, you're just like wasting your time because half the time guys are gonna change positions on you and not wind up where you wanted them in the first place. But pitching is just kind of pitching. Yep, there's always a need. You can always adjust the guy's role based on how he's doing, what you and and what the team needs from him. So right, right. You shouldn't draft a catcher because well, catcher's a whole other issue. You shouldn't draft a center <laughs> fielder because you need a center fielder, right? But if you need upper minus pitching, that's easier to target directly. Yeah. That said, if a guy like, I don't know, uh, who's the top prep player this year? Jordan Walker or something? If someone like that's still on the board, you say, oh, I screw the pitching. I'm getting the best player I can. Yeah, that's uh, something to note is that a lot of, you know, um, draft people have, have mentioned that this year's draft class, it is um, deep in terms of college pitching, but it's not very very high upside it is kind of lacking in college hitting and there are a lot of uh pretty good high schoolers available obviously all this you know is is way too early but yes of course speaking of prep bats my pick is a prep bat so um pete crow armstrong is my pick who he's been someone who's been around the circuit for a while like He's played in a bunch of the showcase games, and he played for the U.S. baseball as like a youth level, um, uh, on the youth level, I mean. 
Um, so the things that stand out about him are is his defense is very good. He's a center fielder right now. He's an outfielder. His defense, as of right now, is very good, and he's very fast, and he has a good arm. So it's one of those things that, like, it gives him a floor, even though he's a prep bat. It gives him a pretty high floor for moving up the system and moving up rather quickly as long as his hitting follows suit. And I think that's one of the things that I found interesting with him is that, like, you don't really – I feel like you don't really find prep players who have solid-ish floors because they're all so young. But if someone could play defense and could play defense at a high level, then you could build around that, and then it's just an easy step up from there. Um, he's hit pretty well. Obviously, I mean, he wouldn't be a prep bat in the first round if he didn't hit very well wherever he was. He has a nice, compact stance, good hands. He's six foot 175, so he has a chance to fill out and get more weight on him without really losing any of that speed and that defense. And he's one of those people that, like, the Mets do need pitching, but I think if someone like this with that interesting blend of talent, someone who has shown that he could hit and also has that speed and defense combination. Um, you kind of have to take a swing at that just because getting that level of talent in the system is something that they don't have. Um, he is, I think, committed to Vanderbilt, which is, that's going to be a problem. But <laughs> um, you could throw money at that situation like most teams do at that point, especially in the first round. And if you're not trying to pull a Matthew Allen thing in the third, you could spend a little more money in the first, but... Yeah, that's basically it. He's someone who caught my eye because of that interesting combination. And um, he's, again, someone who could shoot up the draft boards because it's, like, February. But, <laughs> yeah, it's one of, he's one of those dudes that's definitely interesting to me. I don't think I go 80 on the name. 70-grade name. Oh, the name is incredible. 70. There are definitely better names, but that's quite good. He is a guy that could conceivably be... You know, best case scenario, a five tool player, which is obviously good. You know, the hit tool is pretty good. Um, the arm, the defense, the speed, everything is good. The power is a little questionable, yeah. but, but, you know, like you said, he is 6'1", 175. So he could pull McNeil and put on like 20, 30 pounds and still be a very athletic 6'1", 200 pounds, which is, which, you know, that's fine. Yeah, you take that easily. And I mean, even if the power doesn't fill out, like that's still a valuable player. That's Absolutely. Good. Like Jake Jake Mangum, but actually good. Exactly. If, if Jake Mangum could hit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what if Jake Mangum was five years younger and could hit? Well, he had no problem hitting uh, college pitching, but yeah, I mean, major league, uh, minor league pitching, professional pitching. Yes, a very different beast. Let me just shove my bat in the zone and let it. Ping off into left field. Ping. I hate that sound. Well, Ken, can your pick hit? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, my pick was uh, Heston Kirstad, an outfielder out of Arkansas. Uh, he was originally drafted in the 36th round of the 2017 draft by the Mariners out of Texas. And, um, Really, all he's done in his two years at Arkansas was like win games and hit. He uh, hit 332, 419, 553 with 14 dingers as a freshman, um, and 329, 404, 574 with I think his school record 16 homers as a sophomore. Um, so his big thing is power. He, you know, is, is a very tall kid. 
very long levers and um how should I put this? He hits I, dingers. He he hits <laughs> his name his name is Heston and he likes to hit dingers. Um, <laughs> I watched his him play in Arkansas's first game of the year a couple days ago and his I think second at bat of the game, he pulled like a ninety three mile an hour fastball, like up in the zone. Uh, pulled it out to uh, to right field, and then two at bats later, he went down and got a like a curveball off a lefty, and just kind of poked it out the other way <laughs> to left. Nice. So it's it's power line to line, and um, you know a lot of people are worried about he he strikes out a fair bit, seventeen point five percent as a freshman and twenty one point five percent as a sophomore, which um, you know you t- it's it's typically not ideal. Uh, especially amongst college, you know, polished college hitters. But I think he's going to deceive people with um, his ability to hit for average. I think he's he's really underrated in that regard because there's there's a good amount of barrel control there. So you, I'm, I'm very about, bullish on him. <laughs> are you worried about the defensive home at all? Um, I mean, my my reputation on this podcast is that I, I typically don't worry about such things. Um. <laughs> I think he could play a good enough left field, and I, I think he's going to hit enough. Where who, who cares? Okay. Like, um, I, I like the swing. There's a little bit of noise in the hands, but he seems to have a, a feel for keeping everything on time and everything. And um, it's it's a pretty smooth, like quick bat. Like, he's got very good bat speed, and the bat path is is not very long for for the amount of movement that he has. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you can hit, then it doesn't really matter what your defense is, yep. as long as you are hitting. I also think there's no way he makes it to 20 <laughs> um, uh, where the Mets pick. I think he's similar to Hunter Bishop was last year, uh, but with like a track record of being good. I think I, he's going to hit like 25 dingers this year and end up in the top 10. So, you think he, so you think he's going to like J.J. Blade this, basically? Oh yeah, yeah, but he already has a track record of hitting for power. That's fair. <laughs> um, so, well, I think he's very, very good. <laughs> for the Mets' sake, let's cross our fingers there. Yes. He could also end up going the way of Casey Meisner and struggling once SEC play st- starts. It's true. So, well, I wonder. I wonder if he gets. Uh... I mean, because Beer just raked. Granted, he's nowhere near. Like, even if you think his home is first base, he's nowhere near that unathletic. Like, Beer might not even be able to play first base. So, <laughs> May, yeah. maybe like defensive concerns keep him on the board for the Mets as well, even yeah, if he hits yeah. this year. Yep, entirely possible. And at nineteen, like, yeah, you take that risk. You take the risk there. You don't take it at ten, but you take it at nineteen. I, I th- well. Let, let's clarify. We take you take that risk for a special bat. You don't take that risk oh, sure. for like Will Craig. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, luckily, I like luckily the Mets didn't. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's take a look at the second round now. We'll do a little, not as, as much depth here because obviously it's hard enough to kind of project who might go in in the first round at nineteen, let alone who might go at the second round at you know. 53. Um, but one guy that would be really cool if, the, if he was still available that the Mets could snag for me would be uh, Jace Barofin, 
He's an outfielder from Westmore High School in Oklahoma, and he has a commitment to the University of Oklahoma, but he should be signable. And he's a, a big, solid, six foot two, two hundred pound outfielder. Plenty of power from the left side of the plate. It's a pretty smooth swing, not too much effort, a lot of hard contact. And right now it's been mostly gap power, but he registers high exit velocities and the ball has a lot of backspin. So those are signs that point to the more power in the future. And like um, we were just talking about, his upside, his main selling point is the power, but he is an okay outfielder. He's about average speed and and good arm, uh, plus arm maybe even, and okay instincts. So for the time being... He can play any of the three outfield positions, but he's probably going to be a corner guy in the future. But that would be a fun guy to see um, the second round. Lucas, who would you like to see? Uh, So, yeah, again, very fungible spot. I went with a prep arm, and I'll say, like, I don't really know how to evaluate prep arms from just using the internet, so I'll assume the Mets pick a good one, but I went with Nick Griffin. <laughs> uh, that's a generous assumption, I know. He's a lefty from Arkansas, Mount Castle High School. Uh, he has a commitment to Arkansas, which I imagine is not, uh, uh, that's probably not the strongest commitment, right? Like, it's not like it's Vanderbilt or, or Louisville or one of those, uh, blue collar or uh, blue chip programs um whatever the phrasing is there brandon nimmo broke his commitment to arkansas this kid might too (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely um then again who knows uh uh he's pretty pretty rake thin which i find encouraging like there's definitely room for growth there at 6'4 180 uh he's like five inches taller than me and weighs the same that's i mean plenty of room there for frame growth um smooth delivery low 90s three-quarter arm slot uh, uh, doesn't repeat it always, which, I mean, he's a high school pitcher, shocking. Apparently he has a real feel for a curveball, which is what attracted my in- uh, interest. And of course, since it's a prep arm, he might have had a real feel for a curveball in two starts that some random guy had, and he's never gonna have that feel again for the rest of, like, <laughs> the spring. So, who knows? But, curveball, that's good. Um, the other thing that I found interesting is that he's currently a two-way player, probably not a real two-way prospect, but, like a legitimate athlete, like a real nice 60 yard dash time, a good 10 yard split. Like the dude, the dude is a real, uh, uh, legitimately good outfielder, uh, at least on the grass and can hit a little bit right now. So there's theoretically a fallback to that. And if nothing else, I think just having that athleticism makes you, uh, should make you a better pitcher. Like, uh, uh, most of the best pitchers are good athletes with the exception of like Bartolo Cologne or. <laughs> Excuse me. He's athletic in his own way. Okay. All right. Whatever. Whatever. However, we want to describe him. Uh, but yeah, I think I think uh, generally uh, I'm open to more risk in the second, uh, especially since like most of the top end talent is gone. You, this is there's arg- an argument to make that the Mets are late enough in the first that you should just be kind of throwing caution to the wind. Um, but definitely in the second round, like go for broke. Yep, agreed. For sure. All right, Thomas, who do you got? Ironically, I also took a two-way player who is a prep player. It's cool. It'd be cool. It is cool. <laughs> um, I I chose Mason Wynn, who he's from Texas. Um, he's much shorter than Lucas's pick. He's five eleven, one eighty. Um, but he is like a legit two-way prospect according to Baseball America. 
Um, he throws hard. He's been clocked at 97, 98, and he's also a shortstop. Um, so it's one of those things that I'm sure, like, when, you throw, when you're throwing 97, 98, you're a two-way prospect no matter what in high school because the rest of the kids can't hit that probably. Um, but there's, like, he, he apparently has feels for secondary pitches. Like, it's not that he's just out there throwing gas by everyone and not doing anything else. Um, he has a curveball and he has a changeup. Like, his changeup is his third pitch, but... Like his curveball, his his main secondary, and the cha- if the changeup comes along, there'll be a real starter there. But either way, like like Lucas said, getting some type, some uh, getting a kid who could play two positions, and just that influx of talent and athleticism is so interesting. And when you're picking in the second round, like if someone like that is there, it's almost a no brainer to just take that. And you might get e- even if it's not a two way player, and you get one of the two, then that's still a win. So that's how I looked at it. He's, he I, has a commitment to Arkansas as well. So Arkansas is just... Oh, that's funny. Yeah, just lapping up the two-way players all over the country, apparently. But <laughs> I wonder I wonder how the new roster rules might make make these guys on the fringes of your roster that you can th- that can relieve or can throw a couple innings while also being a serviceable bat. I wonder if that's going to have, like, additional utility as people figure out how to maximize the new roster rules. So, Oh, it makes sense, too. Yeah, not not that that should affect the draft thought process at all, but just just an idea for down the line. Yeah, for sure. Maybe a two way player doesn't get kicked off one position as quick or something like that. Mm. Yeah, I mean in Japan, it's something that happens a lot is you'll have the pitcher. You know, I mean it does happen occasionally in the majors, not any time recently that I could think really. But you know, you you send the pitcher into the outfield for you know an inning a matchup, whatever the case, and then you switch him back when it becomes advantageous. I was going to say Michael Lorenzen, but he's like a real two-way player. Yeah, but guys, and then of course Otani now, but you know, guys with the ability to pitch and just kind of either excel or wing it in an actual position, you know, that's makes juggling the lineup a lot easier for a manager. Definitely. I'm still holding out hope that we see J.D. Davis, the pitcher, at some point. <laughs> I mean, he's got to be the number one position player to pitch. Is J.D. Davis like the new Spaceball saying? J.D. Davis, the hitter. J.D. Davis, the third baseman. J.D. <laughs> Davis, starting left fielder. J.D. Davis, reliever. Listen, I just want to see J.D. Davis hit okay again. And... I mean, he looks better at third on February 23rd. Mm, yes, yes, <laughs> meaningful, meaningful data with good sample size, yes. He made like three nice plays today or something like that. He didn't look like a corpse being dragged around on puppet strings at third base, which objective improvement. Oh no. He well, like, he turned a double play and didn't lollipop the ball to second, so <laughs> progress. Based on that one look in February, he clearly now has a feel for third. Kick McNeil back to left. He's in the best shape of his life. Oh, no. <laughs> Ken, is your guy in the best shape of his life? Uh, maybe. He's 17. Um, so, no. But, uh, <laughs> Blaze Jordan, a first baseman from Mississippi. Um, it's a guy who had a lot of hype around him uh, as one of the t- best prospects in the 2021 draft. But for some reason, reclassified to get into the draft this year. Um a year earlier than expected as a 17-year-old. Um, and, you know, 
basically the entire reason I'm picking him here is because he's very, very young and has a reputation. <laughs> really? Yeah. Is that is that it? I mean, that's more or less it, yes. <laughs> you, so you're trying to tell me that you did not pick him because his name is Blaze Jordan. His name is Blaze Jordan, which is a pretty fantastic name. Um, one that I, I would maybe get a shirt of someday. I hope he puts Blaze on the back of it. I would. <laughs> if he makes it to a point where he can do uh, Players Weekend, <laughs> that's 100% what he should do. Um, I, I was talking to a friend who's not as uh, uh, tuned into the draft as we are, and he still thought Blaze Jordan was going to go like one overall. There's like, mm. like um, <laughs> every few years, there's like one of these high school kids that gets hyped as you know the next mm-hmm. Bryce Harper or whatever. Bryce Harper being like the original, <laughs> but yeah, um, there are some things to like with Blaze Jordan. He um, has extremely well developed raw power. Uh, he's won a bunch of like national showcase home run derbies. Uh, there's stories of him hitting 500 foot home runs as like a 13 year old. So, you know, big, big time power, which anybody who's been listening to me talk on this podcast for a while knows is something that I am a sucker for. I'm pretty sure Ken's ideal team is like nine first basemen. Just I love first basemen. Rolling around the field <laughs> attempting to play defense. He has that Adam Dunn at every position team. Oh, no. The on-base oh, percentage no. would be so high. We'll have to have Dave try to simulate that one. Oh, God. <laughs> Just OBP and dingers and no defense. Who has who yeah. has MLB the show? Someone someone set this up and see how many yeah, games no, they I'll, I'll ping Dave later. That, that, that <laughs> seems like something he'd be good at. Uh but yeah, um, the big question with Blaze Jordan is nobody's sure if he'll be able to hit for average. Um, in the second round, I, you know, am willing to roll the dice in the hopes that you get a, a potential legitimate power bat to, at some point down the line. So, uh, I, something to note though, I'm not sure how far over slot I would go to sign him. Um, there's a decent amount of risk here. So if he's looking to, you know, get a bonus of, like, first-round money. I'm, I, I don't think I would do that. Do you, um, do you think he's going to take a big bonus? So that that's the thing, is, like, I don't know why... I think he probably really wants to go pro if he reclassified to, you know, go pro a year earlier, despite, you know, potentially being a top prospect in one draft class and probably being much lower. Mm-hmm. Um in the earlier draft class. That being said, like if he doesn't go in the top three rounds, I I feel like he could just go, he's going to go to Mississippi state. Um, That's a very good program that gets a lot of people drafted. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's typically easier for an sec first baseman to go in the first few rounds than, you know, a 17 year old lottery ticket. Yeah, I totally agree with that latter take, if not for the reclassification. It just kind of... No, no, yeah. And, and so, like, I think he might not take a ton of money. Um, but that, that's something I wanted to bring up. It's like, I'm not going to, you know, Matt Allen my draft for him. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, you know, I might give him Josh Wolf money. Sure. Yeah. I think he takes that. 
I think he might just be, be a guy, though. He might just be a guy who's best served going to college, I think. And, and like I, getting I, a little more refined. Before. Yeah, because, like, um, let's see. The average questions come from, like, the showcase circuit, and that's, like, such a noisy environment. Like, if he goes to the SEC and plays reasonably well, you know, there's potential that he could end up a first-round, you know, player. Well, yeah, I, I, don't know. I don't know if he'd ever, like, totally tank his uh, value. I don't know how his value, I guess, if he goes to the SEC and it's just himself. Like, it's not like yeah, he's it's just, like, like, a good performer. He'll still get drafted. Yeah, it's not um, like he's going to fall off the face of the draft He probably earth. wouldn't get, you know, second-round money, but... I mean, sure. How how often do first basemen go in the first round? Honestly, like I mean, Seth Beer was Seth Beer was like bat like pick thirty, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's our... better than pick fifty three. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, but before uh, it's probably Vaughn, a million dollars or so. Before Vaughn, when was the last time like a, a an actual for sure first baseman went in the top fifteen? Top fifteen. Yeah. Hmm. All right, I feel like the I don't I don't know what he gains by going to college, honestly. Does Dom Smith count because he got picked eleventh? Oh, of course, it's the Mets. Of course, it's the Mets. Smith got taken eleventh. God damn it! They get taken pretty frequently in like the the twenty to forty range. That's fair. Of course, it's the Mets. Like Alonzo was what, like the fourth or fifth first baseman taken. Uh, Pavin Smith was taken in that general area, I think. He has a few guys yeah. before him. Yeah. I don't know. I think he's kind of interesting, and in the second round, at that age with that kind of power, uh, I think that's a pretty good lottery ticket. Yeah, absolutely. just weird, very weird. All right. Well, we've gone over the first round and the second round, but the Mets will have one more selection. Um, they're going to get a pick at 73, and we can thank Zach Wheeler for that because it's going to be a compensation pick for losing him. And very similar to our second round discussion just now, it's um, a fool's errand, I guess, to you know guess who's going to be available, but we're fools. Yes, and, we're Mets fans. Exactly. So, um, at 73, a cool guy that I'd like to see get picked would be Casey Schmidt, who plays at San Diego State. And I guess this is a, it's a completely unintentional theme here, but he generally plays third base, but over his first two seasons, he's accrued 75 innings out of the bullpen, and he has 70, uh, excuse me, has 17 saves. So he is also another two-way player. It's kind of interesting, I guess, that we all kind of had the same thought pattern here without actually consulting each other or talking about it. We should uh, we should become GMs. Only two-way players. Yes. <laughs> Why don't we build the whole roster out of two-way players? So first we're going to trade, like, literally the entire forum system for Otani because he's the best two-way player, and then we'll figure it out from there. That sounds like a plan. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a bad plan. Lore- uh, we need we need Otani, McKay, Lorenzen. Uh, I'm out of names. <laughs> I Christian just want to go on record. 
I just want to go on record and say that I've only chosen one-way players. <laughs> <laughs> and not just one-way players. You've chosen like one-dimensional half, one-way half players. players. <laughs> defense? Nah. <laughs> Don't need to play defense when you're just hitting dingers. Hit Mash taters, man. <laughs> yeah. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. <laughs> Um, with, with Schmidt, um, you know, the pitching is a little bit more than just a novelty. It's, he's, you know, kind of decent at it. He's got a low 90s fastball and an average splitter. And he's kind of been like the fireman for the Aztecs bullpen. But if you're going to draft him, obviously you, you draft him because you like the bat. And he is a power of a hit guy, but he does make solid contact. So, you know, the batting average might not be anything too special. You know, but at the same time, it's not like he's going to project to be a 200 hit or nothing like that. And he does have a pretty decent eye, so that should buoy his OBP. And something that I do like is that the bat did show up in the Cape over this past summer, and he had eight home runs with a wood bat, so that's always encouraging. Uh, a lot of guys, you know, they'll have college power, and then it'll disappear. You know, uh, David Thompson comes to mind. And defensively, he's a pretty good third baseman. Obviously, because he has, you know, a low 90s fastball, he has a plus arm. Um, he's pretty adept at throwing at all different angles like third basemen have to. So his throws are accurate. Range is about average. Reactions are above average. So he should be able to handle the hot corner. No problems. And if the bat develops, you know, you don't need your third baseman to be hitting, you know, 300 and nothing like that. It'd be optimal, I mean, obviously, but not necessary. Who do you got for the uh, oh, right. Zach I'm Wheeler next. replacement? I yes. forgot. Uh, uh, so mine is, uh, remember how I said don't draft a catcher because you need a catcher? Yeah, well, I, I went with a catcher here. Um, so I, I, uh, I this is Dylan Dingler. He's a junior from Ohio State. Big for a catcher at 6'3", Um but... Apparently his defense is shockingly good, even though he just uh, swapped to catching from uh, center field last season. So uh, <laughs> that's a big change. Yeah, yeah, and apparently he took to it. Like he's got a, his arm strength is great, um, though as we know, that's not the most important part of catching anymore. Um, but a- anecdotally, and I don't know that we really have uh, framing stats for college, nor would I trust them if we did. Um, but anecdotally, the pitchers like throwing to him. They, there was definitely a state, he missed some time and I'll get back to that in a second. And the pitching staff was definitely more stable under him than his replacement, uh, or they preferred throwing to him. Uh, and I think there might be some under the radar-ness to him because, uh, he broke his handmade bone on the first game of the season last year. And while he did come back and post an OPS just above 800, that's not spectacular for a college hitter, but handmade injuries linger, wrist injuries linger, hand injuries linger. And I wonder if there's more offensive upside here than people have realized that'll be slept on a bit because he'll have one year of production if he hits this year. Um, So I've been really interested to see if his, his discipline issues or his discipline improvements from last season continue and if the power improves with, with a healthy off season or just with a healthy hand this time around. He is an interesting guy. Just no other fact than 
you know, he went from center to catching. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he's a big dude for a catcher. So it'd yeah. be cool if he could, he's a big dude for a catcher that's supposedly good at catching, right? Like the only big catcher in baseball these days is like, uh, Salvador Perez and he's a pretty terrible catcher. So Wilson Ramos. <sighs> catcher he's a by the, human. the loosest possible definition of the word <laughs> catcher. Does he squat back there and catch them? Yes. Yes. Well, yes. sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't catch them, sometimes more often than other people. <laughs> sometimes he doesn't catch them, but he's back there. All that matters. It's in the name. Not called the dropper. <laughs> um, so, so just my, my final caveat on this is like, it's really dependent on how he hits this year because if his, if his offense is like capped at how he hit last year, I don't really care. Like, go for something more exciting than a whatever catcher pro, college catching prospect. But if there's a jump in offense, uh, I think the gamble on, hmm, he's actually good and he was just suppressed by the injury last year is is worth it in the third round. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, if he does kind of excel at some of the facets of catching, then that's reason alone right there to be drafting him and then, you know, potential at the bat to get better. Yeah. Especially I mean, if he just became a catcher and he's kind of good at it, mm-hmm. it's, it's not it. It's not easy. So yeah. if he has to have some type of innate ability to do it, mm-hmm. whatever that is, you know, it's hard yeah. to and judge. There's a lot of like defensive catchers who play in the big leagues despite not being able to hit at all. The Mets have employed quite a few of them, <laughs> like all of them. They're <laughs> second catcher. <laughs> They're going to give, like, 300 at-bats to those catchers this year. Yeah. So if he's, like, a good defensive catcher, the bat doesn't need to come around all that much. Yeah. That's true. And if it does, there's serious upside. Mm. There are a couple other catchers in this range from what I'm from the various boards I was looking at, but he was the interesting one because of the conversion, yeah. Yeah. All right. Who you got, Thomas? Okay, so I have another prep arm because apparently all I do is look at high school prospects, but it was a total accident too. I just picked three people who were interesting and then I realized after that I picked three prep people. But this one is Jason Savakul, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Spell it. S-A-V-A-C-O-O-L. That has to be it. Alright, that might be an 80 grade name. Right? (laughs) Um, He's from upstate New York and the thing that jumped out to me as he's from upstate New York and he flashes three good pitches for someone who plays in a cold weather environment. Like mm. I feel like that's a little that's kind of rare to be You've convinced me. I mean right? he's <laughs> so he throws like low nineties. He's right now he's sitting low nineties with his fastball. He's hit ninety four ish. He throws a slider and he also has a circle change that is he kind of according to um <clears throat> MLB pipeline, it's kind of like a split finger changeup type thing. And he has, and he uses all three of those pitches and he's used them pretty effectively as he's pitched. So I think the thing that makes him interesting for me in the third round is he's a high school senior who has three solid pitches and you could get him into a place where he's now pitching more because he's going from upstate New York to like Florida where he would be playing for if he would be drafted. Um, he has a commitment to Maryland, which I'm sure isn't like, you could probably convince him out of that. Um, but yeah, that's basically it. Someone who has three solid pitches at 
at 17, 18 years old is automatically interesting to me. Yeah, as a cold weather guy, he might be uh, overlooked enough to fall down here. Yeah, that's that was my thought. Like, he's just not pitching as much as other people. I mean, Trout was a late round, a late first. It's not. I'm not saying he's going to be the pitching equivalent of, but Trout was a late first because he was from Jersey and he just played less than everyone else, you know. So, like, I don't know. It's one of those things that in the third round you could swing on that upside and hope. Yeah, there's there's. Some pretty good upside there, so would be a good pick, I think. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, Ken, who do you have? Uh, so I went with some another person who was familiar to me, um, Kevin Abel, the right-handed pitcher from Oregon State. Um, so I liked him a lot. Uh, I watched a decent amount of Oregon State in 2018, trying to get a feel for, you know, what Adley Rutschman was going to look like. And um, he was kind of the ace of the staff on the College World Series winning team in 2018 um, for, you know, not particularly good reasons, but, you know. Uh, he posted a 2.88 ERA with 108 Ks against 46 walks in 81 innings, so a little bit higher of a, a walk rate than you'd prefer from a college pitcher, but a lot of strikeouts uh, as a freshman in 2018. And um, he came back in 2019 after the College World Series campaign and only managed to throw, I think it was 21 innings before uh, his season ended because he needed Tommy John surgery. Um, so the reason I kind of like Kevin Abel in the third round, despite the, the health problems, are... If the stuff bounces back, and you should get to see it at least once or twice, presumably, um, before draft day, if the stuff bounces back after Tommy John and he looks pretty good, uh, I think he probably would have gone, you know, much higher than the third round if that hadn't happened and, you know, he just looked like he did as a freshman. So I think there's potential that you'd be getting a pretty good pitcher later than you know, he would go if not for a pretty big risk factor, but, you know, one I'm willing to roll the dice on, uh, again, because I really liked him uh, as a freshman, so. Yeah, he is a guy that kind of meshes well with that big amorphous blob of kind of solid, but nothing crazy high in the upside department, pitchers, yeah. college pitchers, and two pretty good a, secondaries. Yeah, you know, getting good a enough guy like that ball. in the, in the, it's 70s. like David Peterson's a really good value in the third round. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to say that he, he well, as soon as you said Oregon, I said, oh, David Peterson, I have bad memories. Obviously, <laughs> this is Oregon State as opposed to the University of Oregon, but still. Uh, I mean, I'm just glad Ken didn't pick another first baseman. <laughs> hey, Kerstad is not a first baseman yet. <laughs> that day may never come. <laughs> If he's drafted by the Mets, hopefully that day never comes. And oh, if he's he drafted is... by the Mets, he'll never be a first baseman. They'll put him in left field forever. <laughs> that is a good point also. So, uh, yeah. Um, all right, well, does anyone have any last words for the week? Ken, I think you might, I think you might have one, Ken. <laughs> 
<laughs> Can we just pronounce Savakul like Gabagool? <laughs> if we I do think... any recurring of this segment. I mean, tune No in offense in... to him, I just think it would be funny. That's tune awesome. in in three months when we all have, like, literally the opposite take on these players and bash the Mets for selecting them. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we'll be definitely after the... After the draft, we'll have to go back and look at this one. And obviously, in, in the second annual Way Too Early Draft special, we'll laugh at ourselves for all these horrible takes. Mm. Yes. I look forward to um, seeing just how wrong I am and analyzing where I went wrong. It's probably <laughs> going to be choosing a bunch of first basemen. <laughs> Who would have thought, you know? So, a bit off topic, but I was scrolling through the Baseball America rankings, and Marquise Grissom Jr., is available mm-hmm. to get drafted in this draft, and I just felt extremely old. Okay, okay. he's our official pick. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> he is the official draft pick of this podcast. For you, Thomas, to feel extremely old, it's not good for us. I I turn 26 tomorrow, so <laughs> it's I'm I'm on my way down past my prime. Uh, I'm gonna be the ignorant one and say who the who the hell are we talking about here? You know, it's funny because I vaguely remember talking about Marquise Grissom in a podcast in the past. Like, he came up somehow tangentially, and I remember you saying, who? Which who? would be pretty funny. He played for, like, a long time. For Yeah, in, like, the mid-90s to early 2000s, or yeah, maybe... Yeah, he came up in the late 80s. He was like a pretty good player. In 2005. Had a few really good seasons. Well, the Blue Jays are going to draft him, obviously, right? Because they take everyone's kid. Yeah. Vlad, Bichette, Biggio. It worked out well so far. Yeah, it has. Yeah. That's the market inefficiency. Oh, they have Conine's kid too, don't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. When you have a good developmental system, you can do stuff like that because you know at the very least they have a pretty good uh, idea from from what their dads have taught them. And you maximize it. All right, well, if anybody has any questions or comments or whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex2queens at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SadMetSeasonSZN. So you could uh, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast from, and then, of course, rate and review it. Leave us good reviews, please. Thank you for listening, and we will be back next week with some more minor league coverage. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.